section two of the national geographic magazine volume seven may eighteen ninety six this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org recording by betty b africa since eighteen eighty eight part two abyssinia we will now turn from the transvaal to abyssinia and the italian possessions on the red sea where italy is engaged in what may prove to be a life-and-death struggle abyssinia or ethiopia as it was formerly called is the most elevated plateau of africa the coast of the red sea is here low dry and utterly devoid of vegetation consisting of great sand wastes only relieved by alkali plains salt marshes and salt lakes hot and most unhealthy a traveller writing of this region says the country is a parched desolate region the climate an intensified perpetual torrid heat the rainfall one or more terrific thunderstorms in the year the occupation of the inhabitants tending scanty and wretched flocks and herds watching the approach of enemies their fears always alive for sudden death their hopes for peace the ground rises abruptly to the height of nine or ten thousand feet forming a steep mountain chain about six hundred miles long at first parallel to the red sea but near massawa the coast trends to the southeast while the range continues its southerly course some of these mountains rise to the height of sixteen thousand feet far away on the west the country falls gradually to the nile valley and on the southwest to the great lakes the only access to this plateau from the red sea is up great gorges or canyons one thousand to three thousand feet in depth each canyon varying in width from two or three feet to one hundred feet with sudden turns shutting off the view beyond down these canyons in the wet season the water rushes with great violence bringing masses of stone and rock but the greater part of the year they are dry and the traveller must often go from twenty to thirty miles without finding water this plateau when reached is not a level plain but is broken and tossed up by volcanic action the mountains assuming wild fantastic forms with abrupt precipitous valleys only accessible through deep passes the plateaus between six thousand and eight thousand feet above sea level are the temperate region never either very hot or very cold some of the canyons are so deep that one can stand on the edge and looking down see at one glance the vegetation of the frigid temperate and torrid zones the rivers flowing through these canyons act as barriers to communication instead of facilitating it in this region the blue nile rises and flows through deep canyons falling about four thousand feet in less than three hundred miles and cutting abyssinia into northern and southern ethiopia the volume of this river is increased from six thousand cubic feet per second in the dry season to two hundred twenty thousand in the rainy season and it carries down the earth from these high lands to egypt which owes its prodigious fertility to the blue nile from its elevation abyssinia is healthy 
and the climate is said to be as salubrious as any on the globe the valleys on the western slope are fertile producing abundant fruits and the vegetation of the temperate and tropical zones its lofty ranges are the home of abyssinians copts arabs and jews of the caucasian race partially civilized tribes once converted to christianity and still calling themselves christians the people are strong and active but rude and barbarous the different tribes are generally at war with each other but at present they are all united under one ruler who claims descent from the queen of sheba during the ages many attempts have been made to conquer the abyssinians but this has always been most difficult as they can only be reached either from egypt up the valley of the nile or from the red sea through one of the canyons the latter has been the route most usually attempted with results generally disastrous to the invader the abyssinians hidden in the clefts of the mountains behind the rocks and bushes wait until the enemy has reached a difficult part of the canyon before attacking him the most notable exception was in eighteen sixty eight when the british under sir r napier marched through one of these canyons captured magdala and took prisoner king theodore but at that time theodore had by his atrocities alienated the other chiefs and tribes and through their aid the british passed up the canyon without opposition it was in one of these canyons that the abyssinians under menelek the negus negus or king of kings as their emperor is called lying in ambush recently surprised and completely routed the italians it is said that the abyssinian army of one hundred thousand men was supplied with the best repeating rifles by the french and russians and was aided by french officers the russians have recently sent an embassy to abyssinia and received an ambassador from that country and negotiations are in progress to bring the abyssinians into the greek church about twenty years ago the egyptians occupied the whole of the upper nile even to the great lakes and the valley of the red sea abyssinia lay between these possessions and the khedive desired to conquer it he sent two large armies which marched up the eastern branches of the nile to abyssinia both armies were defeated the son of the khedive in command of the second army was captured with a large number of men but was subsequently ransomed a mohammedan born in dongola calling himself el mahdi i e the leader prophet or guide appeared in the sudan about eighteen eighty and raised the flag of the prophet on a small island in the nile near khartoum soon arabs from the desert joined him and later the bedouins flocked from all parts of egypt about the same time arabi pasha then an officer in the egyptian army conspired with el mahdi and seized cairo the khedive and english retiring to alexandria sir garnet wolseley was sent to command the english and indian armies and at the battle of tel el kabir september eighteen eighty two arabi was defeated and taken prisoner he was subsequently sent to ceylon but the disaffection in the upper nile continued to extend and soon the whole population of the sudan and upper nile was gathered under the banner of the prophet el mahdi 
he defeated four expeditions and in eighteen eighty three general hicks pasha with an anglo-egyptian army of ten thousand was sent against him they marched into the desert and for months nothing was heard of the expedition then slowly the news of its annihilation reached cairo in june el mahdi captured khartoum killing general gordon a few days before general wolseley with the english army came in sight of the city too late they returned without even attempting to avenge his death el mahdi died a few months later but his army was not dispersed osman digna the general of the mahdists overran the region east of the nile capturing and massacring egyptian garrisons at different places and marching to the very gates of suakin on the red sea where the mahdists desired to have a seaport for communication with arabia in order to obtain a good market for slaves from the interior of africa with these mahdists the italians have now to contend soon after their occupation of Masawa, they acquired control of tigra and kasala then held by the mahdists and dervishes these fanatics encouraged by the defeat of the italians are now said to be preparing to attack kasala the english for the purpose of aiding the italians and recovering the valley of the upper nile wrested from egypt by the mahdists ten years ago have sent a body of english troops with an army of sudanese and egyptians under english officers from cairo up the nile to dongola between the fourth and fifth cataracts in the expectation that the mahdists and dervishes will be drawn from kasala to attack the english if the latter are successful they will probably march up the valley to khartoum if they are unsuccessful it is feared that the mahdists will march down the valley to cairo to an american it seems difficult to understand the reason that led italy to attempt the acquisition of such a territory in africa and why signor crispi under whose ministry it was undertaken should assert that colonial extension is a vital question the advantage which it brings not being translatable into figures unfortunately for signor crispi it has been translated into figures which show a large and serious deficit in italian finances the physical features of africa as they affect its economic value future occupation and civilization the growth and prosperity of a country depend on its formation including its mountains temperature and rainfall its mineral and vegetable productions and its facilities for intercommunication africa is unlike the other continents especially in the uniformity of its topography and in its temperature it is a great peninsula without islands indentations or harbors on its coast this difference is especially exemplified by the mediterranean coasts of africa and europe the former is a long continued sand beach without a break and with only one or two good harbors while on the european side are the great peninsulas of spain italy and greece everywhere indented with island-studded seas and with bays and harbors africa has a coastline of only fifteen thousand miles if it was as long as that of europe in proportion to the size of the continent it would be fifty-seven thousand miles long the relief of the land 
instead of being centered in long and lofty mountain ranges has been spread over the continent with wonderful equality forming high plateaus with terraces to the ocean down which the water rushes in rapids or over high falls which render the great rivers impossible of navigation notwithstanding this lack of long mountain ranges its average altitude about two thousand feet is higher than that of the other continents the country north of the equator presents a great similarity to the country south of it though the features on the north are on a much larger scale north of the equator is the greater lake chad south of it the smaller lake nagami north of lake chad is the great desert of sahara south of lake nagami is the small desert of kalahari north of sahara on the mediterranean and south of kalahari on the indian ocean are fertile tracts of limited extent where the rainfall is abundant and vegetation flourishes the greater part of the territory between the mediterranean and sudan and between the atlantic and the red sea and a considerable portion south of the zambezi comprising nearly one-half of africa is practically sahara that is a waste or desert the sahara is a plateau of diversified structure with hills and numerous dried-up water courses regions of dunes or steppes overgrown with alpha alternating with sandy waste at sunset the temperature falls quickly causing a difference of one hundred degrees between day and night scattered through the desert are about four hundred oases where the date palm flourishes in many places wells have been dug and great caravans follow the line of these oases and wells the desert of kalahari in south africa is much smaller has a more temperate climate resembles our arid lands and like the latter region is to a large extent suitable for the pasturing of cattle although africa is about five thousand miles long and four thousand five hundred miles wide in the broadest part stretching over seventy degrees of latitude about two-thirds of its area lies within the tropics with a vertical sun twice a year giving it the hottest climate in the world the average temperature is eighty degrees while north and south of the tropics the average temperature is only ten degrees less in the tropics the climate is so enervating and unhealthy for europeans that they cannot live there more than two or three years while the same climate is most favorable to the negro the germans occupied the cameroon in western africa near the equator supposing that a great mountain rising fourteen thousand feet directly from the ocean would prove an excellent health resort but the miasmatic vapors ascend the mountain slopes and render it an unfit habitation for the european the rainfall in equatorial africa is most abundant from seventy to one hundred inches a year causing a hot moist atmosphere and a luxuriant vegetation in this region the population is densest from the abundance of fruits and the ease with which life is supported there is also a heavy rainfall in the mountains of abyssinia on the northwest coast of the mediterranean and on the southern and southeastern coasts the rainfall diminishing toward the central and western parts of south africa as the rainfall diminishes the native population decreases all the other continents have great rivers forming waterways to and from the interior 
africa has but one such river the niger the nile and congo are however among the most remarkable rivers in the world the nile for its history and inundations the congo for the great number of its branches navigable for small vessels for several thousand miles on this river and its branches there are from forty to fifty stern-wheel steamers and about one hundred stations with from six hundred to eight hundred white men in charge the whole trade of africa excepting that of cape colony and the mediterranean is monopolized by great companies and where these do not exist by smaller traders this trade is most profitable to europeans consisting largely in the exchange of cheap cotton goods beads copper wire in limited quantities and of rum brandy old arms and ammunition in large quantities for ivory india rubber and other products the total amount of the annual exports and imports of africa other than from the mediterranean and exclusive of gold silver and diamonds is however scarcely equal to the annual foreign trade of one of the large ports of the united states from this resume it appears that africa produces abundantly in the equatorial provinces where the white man cannot live that there are not any good waterways from the interior to the coast and few good harbors when it is reached that the only articles obtained from the natives are elephants tusks and the fruits that grow spontaneously that the only way of moving products to and from the sea is by caravans a slow and expensive method precluding any extensive commerce from this it follows that the value of equatorial africa is and must be for a long time very small it is possible to build railroads into the interior of equatorial africa for one or two are now in operation in portuguese west africa one is in process of construction around the falls of the congo and surveys are being made in eastern africa both by england and by germany and in northwestern africa by france but it is doubtful if there is now sufficient business to enable these roads to pay operating expenses nor can the trade be materially increased until the natives acquire the habits and wants of civilized life and are willing to labor and raise the products that will grow in the tropics and exchange them for the goods and wares of europe and america this change is slowly taking place the mercantile agencies must and do employ native traders and native labor all the work in the tropics is performed by africans men whose fathers never saw or heard of white men are building railroads and telegraphs and carrying great loads from the interior to the coast some are in superior positions in charge of stores and telegraph offices or steamboats some receive regular wages others are paid in clothing or spirits the european can probably live in the high plateaus of abyssinia in the lake region and in southern africa where from the elevation he would have a european or temperate climate southeastern and central south africa have a temperate climate are generally well watered and the land is capable of cultivation by irrigation in this region the mineral wealth is large and it is connected with the indian ocean and south atlantic by railroads now in operation 
there seems to be no physical cause to prevent these regions from becoming the homes of numbers of europeans beside the present occupants in america the indians or natives have invariably given place to the white man and have been generally exterminated will the negroes or natives of africa retire before the european let us consider south africa the portion of the continent most favorable to the white man the slave trade and the constant wars between the natives have been stopped the kaffirs have exchanged the brutal rule of the savage for the beneficent government of the european and have become free men endowed with an absolute title to their homes and to any property they may acquire they cultivate the fields of the boar they work in the diamond and gold mines they own large herds of cattle and compelled to give up their nomad life they have commenced tilling the ground for themselves instead of white day laborers as in europe and america the english in south africa employ the kaffir as a result the native population is increasing with accelerated rapidity it is already many times more numerous than the european and the disparity is constantly and rapidly increasing the kaffir lives more cheaply and works for less wages than the white man the only europeans required or for whom there is room or occupation are the owner and the overseer the mechanic and the engineer in another generation the kaffir will fill most of these places and there will be no work or position in the interior for the englishman the capitalist the manufacturer the merchant and the trader will live in the cities first the hottentots were expelled by the bantus then the bantus were driven into the interior by the boers the boer in his turn gives way to the englishman only to be ejected by the kaffir when he has learned to work what is true of the kaffir holds good to a less extent of the bantus and negro tribes in equatorial africa the arab slave dealer has been shorn of his power the slave trade has been generally stopped and with that the prime cause of the internecine wars wherever the european rule is established and peace assured improvement soon appears in the habits and character of the people with a very rapid increase of the population the arab bantu and negro must occupy the equatorial regions of africa because the white man cannot live there and they will then i believe drive out the europeans from the remainder of the continent and we shall see a race vastly superior to any africans now there and in some respects superior to the white man end of section two